podcast. I'm Andrew McGregor, and with each installation of this podcast, we're going to explore the world of spirituality, what it means to be alive, and how is it that we can bring our spiritual selves, tarot, meditation, religious or spiritual practices into our daily lives. Please check out all of our episodes at thehermitslamp.com slash podcasts, or you can search The Hermit's Lamp in podcasts on iTunes, catch it on Stitcher Radio or other services along those lines on your smartphones or wherever you like. So welcome to another installment of The Hermit's Lamp podcast. I am here with Aiden Watchter to talk about magic and dirt and skulls and all sorts of fun and exciting things. Uh, we've already discussed how this might uh, get a little ridiculous, so I hope everybody is uh, on board for that. Um, but for people who don't know who you are, Aiden, uh, why don't you give us a quick introduction? Uh, sure. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Um... I've been uh, involved with magical practice uh, actively and consciously since about 85, but uh, it started earlier than that. I just didn't know what it was, um, and I'm a talismanic jeweler. My main focus is uh, on uh, silver and gold uh, kind of power objects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the short form. Yeah, well, and the stuff you make is just beautiful and stunning. Thank you. Know? you. I, uh, I, I, somebody, a friend of mine was in the store the other day here in Toronto, and I was like, "Hey, that's one of Aiden's, isn't it?" And they were like, "Totally is." You know, it's, it's completely <laughs> recognizable once you once you've looked at your stuff, which is great. Well, that's a, that's a good thing, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so how what what pulled you into magic? What pulled you towards that stuff to begin with? Um, that's kind of a difficult question because it did start earlier than I was conscious of. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a kind of peculiar upbringing. I wasn't a total maniac when I was a little kid. Um, but things started to change when I was about 10 or 11. Um, and, uh, I did not at the time know what that was. Um, and some of that was, uh, drug related. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in a kind of sideways fashion, I have really, really terrible allergies. Um, and so I was on allergy medicine for half the year from the time I was very little. Mm. And I didn't know because I didn't have any context. And it started before I would have really had any idea that that shit really fucks me up. Mm. Um, and so I think I was initially kind of having... That opened some doors, I think, especially kind of in the transitions between the seasons from the point when I was essentially on drugs 24-7 mm-hmm. to the point where I wasn't. But I didn't figure that out until much later. Um, but uh, when I was 11, I had a kind of major initiatory experience that I did not know what it was. <laughs> I just had this really terrifying experience. Um, and then... Uh, Became interested in magic. I don't really know what the spark was, but I got uh, the two earliest books on runes in 82 and 83. Uh, and that kind of got me thinking that way. And then stumbled into Alistair Crowley a little bit when I was about 13, which did not go very well. 
No? I did not understand what he was talking about. <laughs> uh, Who does understand what he's talking about? I, right? That's I still my stance. I'm yeah. totally with you. Um, and uh, I think the first thing that I got that was kind of instructional that I could pay attention to was the spiral dance uh, and began working with a little bit of that stuff. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, how um, this stuff often, you know, because uh, I've spent time trying to reconstruct where did it start for me? Right. You know, yeah. And, and I, I mean, I think that for me, there's a sort of seamless flow from childhood imaginary or maybe not imaginary, you know, uh, experiences of ideas of magic and fantasy and, you know, games we'd play in the woods and stuff like that, you know, into into sort of more recognizable practices like learning to meditate when I was doing martial arts and discovering Crowley also at 13 and uh, having the opposite experience, thinking that this guy completely got me. It's like, yes, this is me. I'm just <laughs> this. Do what I will. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, of course, then spending many, many years trying to understand anything that I did. You know, <laughs> I, as I said, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that I still do, you know, but uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's very interesting how that works, you know? Yeah, it, it, for me it's interesting, again, I've kind of been playing the retrospective game in the last few years, just I think that that's, you know, technically I'm, I'm in midlife, I'll be 50 in a few months, so mm-hmm. uh, part of that is going, where did this really go on? And then that experience that I had when I was 11 kind of shut off my memories of my life before that. Mm. And so I have just very piecemeal little bits. And so it's been very interesting to have those pop back up. Like uh, I had a lot of sleep paralysis as a young person. Interesting. Uh, and kind of continuous, uh, really horrible nightmares uh, in that state. And um, I think about a year and a half ago, I was like, wait a second. There was this whole period in my youth where I was being hunted by these two-dimensional beings. Hmm. Uh and I can totally see them. And they would like, you know, they would turn flatwise and you couldn't see them because they were two dimensional and they yeah. would slip behind the, the dresser and things. And then they would, when there was no one around, they would come out after me and uh, kind of hunt me. Uh, and uh, I had a lot of terror from those things combined with all that nightmare stuff. And I don't know how much of that, that may have been again, allergy medicine response. Mm-hmm. Um, but the end result was, I think, that it opened up a lot of doors in me uh, around that time. Uh, and I eventually, uh, when I was 15, we were punk rockers out in the suburbs. We were posers, according to all the folks in the city, because uh-huh. we were really ridiculous. Yeah. We definitely sided to the ridiculous side, not the hardcore side. Yeah. Hardcore kids all hated us uh, when we would go into the city to see shows, but... And there was another group of punks in my town. There were just two little clusters. Uh-huh. And they were more the industrial dudes. They were, you know, button, white button-down shirts and black and kind of sports jackets. And mm-hmm. they, were, they were way hipper than we were. We were, right. you know, uh, terrible makeup and uh, how offensive can we get? Uh-huh. Uh, and to still be allowed to come into the one place that was kind of like a Denny's where you could get coffee back then. Right. Uh, and one day they dropped the book of matches on our table that said, with a little anarchy symbol written on it that said, if you want to talk, give us a call. And uh, me and my friend Aaron called them 
and we went over to their house. They invited us over. And uh, I remember my friend Ed made us waffles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Martin, our friend Martin, who's now Motmos, with his partner Drew, uh, kind of noise music group that's done a lot of stuff with Bjork, he okay. was there. And uh, they were a couple of years older than me. And then a few years older than them was this guy, David, who was the first kind of serious magician I met. Mm. And he was uh, a Thelemite and a ritual magician and would go on to become a lodge master in the OTO. Uh, and so he was kind of my first. Seriousness. About what this. the hell is up with this guy? He's yeah. fascinating. And maybe he has some explanation for some of the stuff that goes on. Um, and they played, uh, the first psychic TV album for me that night. And so I went, I went into Berkeley and bought it and then wrote to them and got the gray book from them. So that's really the active start. That was a document that I could work with. Like, okay. Were you looking for answers at that point? I don't know. I think I was looking for the no, I would say yeah, and I was looking for the answer to is there a separate way to live than this ridiculous one that we are in out here in the suburbs mm-hmm. uh, in a non-abusive but really dysfunctional family. Uh, yeah, you know they didn't do anything wrong to us; they just didn't really raise us particularly well. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, I was definitely, I think, at that point, looking for something different. Like, there's got to be another way to do this life because what I'm shown is just heinous, and I'm not interested. Yeah, I totally, I'm, I totally resonate with that punk rock experience of it all too. You know, yeah. I, I lived in a suburb of, well, I lived in a small town outside of Toronto, where you know, mid mid '80s, it was all hair bands and whatever, and. I, you know, I was I was on board for that because what else are you going to do except listen to Iron Maiden and you know, whatever right. in small towns when you're when you're you're young, you know, and um, and then a friend of mine came over and gave me Jane's Addiction's first album on cassette. You know, mm-hmm. they were like, I think you're going to really like this. You should really check it out. And I was just like, Whoa, 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 what is this? This is not all that. This is something else. And that was basically the end of. Of, of my former life was that, that cassette getting handed over. Right. Totally. And then, uh, not too long over, I'm not too long after that. I moved from the small town to a suburb where I could take the train downtown and I would just go downtown and go into the, the alternative record stores and just be like, what's good. What's new. What's interesting. What on earth is this? Like I'd look at the covers of albums and be like, this is, this is craziness. I need this, you know? Absolutely. That you was know? a beautiful time yeah. for me. And I, you know, I shaved my long hair into a mohawk and like the whole deal. Right. And, and so I was, I was the only punk rocker in town for a long time, right. which yeah, was pretty, was pretty amusing in some ways. So, and yeah, definitely on that side of like, I wasn't really serious or like aggressive or whatever as, as such. I was just like, Everything is is ridiculous here. This is all just craziness, and nobody sees it, you know. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah, and, I, and it was funny, I think, too, for me, because this was this would have been in the very early '80s. Same thing kind of happened. My friend Don, who was a few years older than me, mm-hmm. uh, handed me this cassette that and said, uh, "I'm giving you this because I think you have good punk rocker potential." He was <laughs> nice. he was a bodybuilder. He looked uh-huh. like. He looked like a really good looking dude, but like Dennis the Menace, but huge. Like, 
blonde hair, Dennis the Menace hair. He's got his bib overalls and his white T-shirts, but just huge. And he had great music taste. And he gave me this cassette that had nothing but song titles on it. And he said, when you can tell me every band on this cassette, mm-hmm. uh, I'll let you have access to my record collection. So I'm like taking this thing into Berkeley with my Walkman. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is this dude? <laughs> You're like, oh, that's the damn. It's like, yeah. okay. You know, no internet to search that shit on. So you had to actually find someone who knew. Totally. And, uh, and yeah, that was a huge shift for me because it was like, okay, this is something, this mm-hmm. is something interesting. And then I got into weird stuff from that. I remember finding, uh, dog's blood rising by current 93 and taking that to my friend's house that we used to go get high in his house after school. We were young and putting that thing on and we were all we were like, what is this? Who yeah. are these people? What are they talking about? This is madness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really switched me kind of out of the punk thing and then into the more experimental and, mm-hmm. and industrial scene. So I kind of dropped out of the let's dress up and be crazy and go to hardcore shows. That lasted for a few years. But yeah. after that, it was much more like what's really fascinating? Who's really pushing something strange? Because mm-hmm. uh, I want that. Uh, and and did, you, did you find it? Did you find people? Did you find groups? Did you... I did to some degree. Um, the guys that I met in that house when I was 15, I ended up having connections with on and off over the years, and I'm still in contact with mm-hmm. kind of that group of people, some of them. Um, but pretty early on, well, I guess the next step for me was um, uh, I started having uh, – unwanted possession experiences Mm. um, around the time that I was about 17 or 18. Um, And just depending on where I was, things would get in me and I would have to deal with them. And so uh, around the time my son was born in 87, that got really out of hand. And uh, we, by chance, happened to move in just up the street from my friend that ran Thalema Lodge at that time of the OTO. And um, I guess just before that, I'd met a, another Thelemite, who's how I found that house. I didn't know that David was running that place at that time. And he gave me Lieber Nolan, Psychonaut, and a pile more Crowley, which I read but didn't really ever gel with. I was in the OTO for a number of years. Um, and it got me to go, okay, maybe I can use this to stop the possession. Maybe mm-hmm. there's actually a magical approach to this. And that's, I think, what got me serious. And it's also what kind of set me on a course that was very different from most of the people that I knew, uh, that most of them were trying to get contact. <laughs> I was trying to gain control of contact, mm-hmm. which worked. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, and through that, I think, is what kind of gave me a really idiosyncratic approach compared to the, again, the Thelemites and the folks that I knew. They were super open-minded and let me play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, that group was not, uh, they weren't super concerned uh, whether they probably should have been from the view of the the kind of officers of the, Right. Of, the, of, the, of the order, whether I was learning my astrology and my Kabbalah, because I certainly wasn't. Uh, but uh, I was definitely trying to go, okay, practically, how does this work? Yeah. Uh, and that what, that's what led me to kind of the 
using the word sorcery, which was pretty unused at that period of time. And it's like, let's just say I'm this. I don't want to have any more arguments about magic and magic with a K and Thelema and all that. So let's just call it this. Yeah, and it's easy to get derailed people. into semantics and, you know, the narcissism of minor differences and, you know. Yeah, and I was super not down. It's yeah. like, no, no, no. Well, I, I'm really only interested in what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have very little interested in interest in theory and uh, a massive interest in practice. Well, it's I think it's genuinely fascinating when people have those uh, direct experiences, either unsought for or sought for, where they realize that wait, 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 wait. There are other things out there, and they are completely independent. They have their own existence. I can close my eyes and not be in contact with them. And they are going and doing whatever their, their life is. And then they come around and stuff happens, you know? And I think that those experiences are tremendous, you know, and very unsettling for people. Yeah. And I think I was kind of ripe for that too. Around the time I was 15, I, uh, I had the, uh, retrospectively very very foolish idea to eat a whole lot of datura seeds uh-huh. uh, and spend a week on that and that was again like another great opening thing yeah. uh, terrifying not fun not wise mm-hmm. um, but because uh, it showed me how much my perception could be changed mm. and how much can how much can i experience as real in a really sustained fashion mm-hmm. that from a materialist view is not real at all right uh and uh, that what I'm experiencing in, in, inside can be very unrelated to what anybody else is experiencing outside. Mm-hmm. And I think that that same kind of thing can happen with those kind of really intense magical experiences, that it kind of breaks some of your resistance to possibilities. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely been my experience. Of, uh, once things start communicating to you or in my case more through you mm-hmm. uh, uh, what comes from that and so at the point I was doing a lot of chaos magic I would have people stop me on the street who were like Santeria practitioners and talk to to their spirits through me yeah uh, that's not my world I have I knew enough to know who they were talking to yeah and I could kind of watch me respond appropriately yeah. Uh, and that was pretty freaky, but it's kind of the fifth or sixth or 10th time it happens. You kind of go, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> I appear to be a, a usable vessel for this. And it's not unpleasant. There's no, nothing bad is happening to me from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't really fit in the context of, uh, a lot of the more systematic stuff that I saw. Well, my my question about things like that, so ultimately my question for you is, um, other other than for these random individuals, what what was beneficial to you about it? What was it helpful? Was it was there a point to it? Did it you know not that not that spiritual growth needs to be a a, a line because I don't think it is, but but right. you know I I because I meet lots of people and I and there are people I know who I would say, you know, at least based on our conversation, uh, live that way, right? That's that's their thing. And I'm always like, what's the point, though? Like, you know? We just glitched out, so I have no idea what you said. Uh, I, I said, I, I know people who live that way, 
right? They, they, yep. And have for decades. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't see where it goes. I don't see what value it brings them. And so I'm wondering for you, if there was, was there a point? Was there a value? Did it, did it benefit you? Or was it just I, kind of something that happened? Most of it, I would say, was just something that happened during that mm. period of time. And I was doing a lot of work that was working. Yeah. Um, but at that point, I wasn't particularly spirit-driven. That I hadn't kind of got to that place. Um, uh, I hadn't kind of settled on that as being the model that made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it was a... It was kind of a twofer. I think I was serving a function in a community that nobody else was serving. Right. Um, and that's, uh, I had a friend that had some connects to that and said that, you know, the, what, what, and she, she saw this happen a couple of times. And she said, this is very interesting because kind of what's going on is not legit within the, the community because I was not initiated, I did not have any connect to these. She yeah. goes, but it's, you're very recognized by some of these people as having this. Um, but I think what it did for me was it kind of helped me see that that model was my model, whether I liked it intellectually. Like, this is clearly going on. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I should start addressing things in this way. And that was a big change. That was really what kind of broke me out of this, the ceremonial magic mold, yeah. whatever of that I'd picked up and said, no, I just have communication with things that are not me. Mm. And um, they're different than me and they have different interests. Yeah. Um, and uh, I had a sustained probably six month contact that was with a group of spirits that was where everything really gelled for me. Because they just showed up and they were like, we want you to do this ritual action. And um, this was like, a, I do, I get a lot of my information in dreams. And this was a long dream cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they were like, you know, and then you could be something for us, you know, some kind of, I don't know, specialist or <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know, specialist or priest or whatever. And I was like, I'm super not interested, dudes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so tell me what it is you want to do and you're going to have to explain in some fashion why I should do these things for you. Mm-hmm. And they did. They had different kind of representatives of their people uh, came over this very long period of time. Um, and part of that explanation that they gave me, which was really interesting and was the point where I decided that I would help them, was they showed me a book. And the book was a big kind of leather-bound book. And I was looking over someone's shoulder. Like mm-hmm. I had the viewpoint of someone taller looking over a, a much smaller person's shoulder down at this book. And in this book, there were uh, all of these sigils. And some of these sigils were my tattoos. Mm. And some of them were the tattoos of people uh, I knew. Uh, and the kind of the transmission was that this is a two-way street. Uh, you guys use our signs to contact us and act, ask us for assistance. And we do mm-hmm. provide it, uh, if you're respectful and we do the same thing to you, whether you're aware of it or not. Uh, and we're making you aware of this is what goes on. And, um, 
at the end of that period, I did decide to do the work for them. And it was just a single ritual. And it was very interesting because it was such a long contact. Um, this was probably 50 or 60 dreams happening, right. you know, one or two a week for months. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just this kind of massive thing because I did the work mm -hmm. and, um, it was the, it was a kind of a massive visual sensory thing that I saw that I opened up the door for this thing to move through and come into, uh, my world. And it kind of <laughs> tipped its hat uh, and thanked me um, and went about things. And everything changed for me at that point. Mm. Uh, uh, and the sense that I had was that I'd opened up that. There'd been a door that I'd kind of had to shut down to control the possession work. Right. And then there were doors I was trying to open up to do the work that I was trying to do kind of on a practical magic level. And at the point that this uh, event happened... Uh, everything just smoothed out. Mm. Uh, you know, in my journals at the time, I wrote that like that process was like it lubricated everything. Right. Uh, everything began to flow very nicely and very easily. Um, and in a sense, what I got from that is realizing that I'm not really a conjurer, um, but I'm a good uh, conduit mm. uh, or can be. Uh, it's very much, uh, I mean, it's very much kind of in the, the, the mediumship and that kind of magic line, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, because for me, I did, I did ceremonial for a long time. Um, and then I moved into Lukumi and Arisha stuff and got mm -hmm. initiated in those traditions, which is my, which is sort of my faith. Um, but so kind of along that journey, I became, reluctantly a medium and it, you know, a channel and, you know, most of my, when I'm doing practical work, it's through those spirits. Right. So mm -hmm. it's not, it's not so much that I'm doing the work. I mean, I, I'm doing something obviously, but it's very yeah. much that like, Hey guys, will you agree to do this piece of work? What do you need for it? What are we going to do? Does this make sense? Yes. Yes. Everyone's in. All right. Boom. And then, you know, it's like this sort of exchange of words and things and, their energy and then something happens, you know? So, yeah. And I think that that model, when you, when you experience that model as your reality, mm -hmm. uh, at least this is my experience, it makes a lot of the stuff that you see seem really kind of convoluted and odd. Yeah. Uh, um, and I'm not, uh, you know, one of the big problems that I had in finding people to work with early on <laughs> was that uh, I'm not really religiously inclined in a traditional way. Yeah. So, you know, even though I was in the OTO, I was never religiously a Thelemite. Sure. Uh, though I worked with some witchcraft things, I studied fairy tradition, Anderson fairy tradition for a while. Mm -hmm. um, that was never a religious thing to me. I was always interested in that. And then kind of, as you said, you come to this place where you go, oh, I'm just going to talk to these things, right? If, yeah. I'm, if I'm surrounded by people, which I've been, has been proven to me, I don't even really need to know who they are. Mm. Just, you know, let's go straight against the tenets of ceremonial magic. It's like, I don't even need a name for the way that I work. Mm. Um, you know, I'm aware that I have uh, 
kind of a collection of uh, beings, um, entities that are around me that have worked with me for ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I do, it's the same kind of thing. I can go, you go set up my, go sit at my table of skulls uh, uh-huh. and uh, stack, see stack them in a nice order. Stack them in a nice so order. So the channel can come through. <laughs> so the channel can come through. And, um, you know, and then it's, you know, I, I, I talk to them while I'm dressing candles according to kind of what hits me and what makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you figure out your favorites for me. What are the tools that, what are these, what are the, what are the tools that work? Yeah. Um, and, and what are these me, spirits like too, right? You know, I mean, I have, yeah, what do they like? I, I have one spirit who like, you know, the first time, the first time I, I was like, like, you know, when you're at the woods today, keep your eyes open. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something I want you to bring back. And I'm like, okay. And I come walking around and I'm looking at like leaves and flowers and, you know, like greenery or whatever. And then we come across this like rotten bug infested <laughs> stump. Right. And it's like shovel a bunch of that into a bag and bring it home with you. And I'm like, <laughs> so many live things in there. And so my life, I'm like, ah, but you know, likes what it likes. Right. Yeah, and it's you know it's it, it, it's also funny because um, I only have uh, a couple of these that are kind of named things you know that I work with. Mm-hmm. They're kind of wider known, kind of folk magic saints, and they are really funny because it's like you know it's like I'll be in the it'll be in the morning on the on on a day, and I'm not really paying attention, and I'll wander into the shop, and it's really like I do not want your tortillas. It's like, oh, dude, it's not Thursday. I am sorry. Yeah. Let, me get some, let me get you something that you like. Yeah. You like eggs. Okay, that's good. Let me get you some eggs. Um, and then my sense with that is that, yeah, it's like this is a very long-term conversation of like it allows you to kind of come in and, and, and just say, this is where I'm trying to go with my life overall. Mm-hmm. This is the overall direction I would like things to move. And, um, kind of give it that focus. And like you said, go, what, what do you need to help this go along? What would you like? And, um, how can this also work well for you? Um, and, And yeah, so there's a way in which it's really laid back, and there's a way that it's not, that it's also kind of serious. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I um, mean, it's chaos magic, like let's circle back and bring the idea of chaos magic into this conversation, because I think that, mm-hmm. that what we're really talking about is the actual, practical, healthy application of, of chaos magic, at least in my experience, right? I totally agree. Like this idea that... From 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 a like we're not doing anything we're just philosophizing anything could happen structures whatever who knows but the closer that we get to something specific and the more spirits or energies or or whatever processes or plants or things that we bring in then the more specific all of those things that need to happen might become and we mm-hmm. need to work and listen and feed back and forth and you know realize that while we might be amused to uh you know use a rubber ducky as the vessel for our spirit if the spirit on the other side is not open to that then you know we're done you know they don't want the tortillas (laughs) right 
<laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and I think if that was my experience of um Chaos Magic 2, that I kind of came into it um pretty early. I think Libra Null was the only thing that you could get in the US at that time that was Chaos Magic. Um and I kind of used Libra Null and Psychonaut to kind of deconstruct what all the magicians around me and the witches around me were doing. Like, what are they actually doing? If, like, yeah. what model are they using? And how does it appear that that model is working for them? Um, and, uh, yeah, versus it, the, the, the much weirder take that I never really understood if this is anything goes, uh, my take on chaos magic was find out what really works for you uh, and don't worry about the rest of it. Uh, you know, and if, if, a, if some form of hybrid spirit model, energy model is the thing that works for you. Great. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that you have to learn all these things. It's not that you have to you know, empower your Ultraman to, to protect you. Uh, exactly. And for me, see, I came into Chaos Magic more in the late 90s because prior to that, I basically only read Crowley and like world anthropology stuff, you know? And, uh -huh. Like I just, it just wasn't in my orbit. I didn't have access to it living in a small town in Ontario and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it, uh, Chaos Magic didn't exist. And then by the late 90s, when I came around to it, I think that it was sort of, you know, it was full on into that, like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, take my Godzilla statue and consecrate it as the guardian, the guardian at the threshold to my temple or, you know, whatever. It's like, yeah, that's cool, man. But, but I don't really understand why, like, you know? Yeah. Well, and it was also funny because for me, what it did was, um, <laughs> so Clay, the guy that got me into, uh, Humorously, both of the main my main contacts in magic uh, were uh, hardcore Anakian magician Thelemites, uh -huh. and I could never go there. I just my brain doesn't go there. Um, and uh, he gave me Libra Null and Psychonaut and this stack of Crowley books, and, he, and I said, "So how do I start this process?" And he said, "Do the LBR every day for six months, twice a day." Mm -hmm. And I ended up doing some version of a pentagram or at least kind of cross-quarter ritual every day, twice a year for seven years. And it became very interesting because I kind of did the, to me, if I really did the Crowley's method of science thing. I said, okay, this thing does something, mm -hmm. but what does it do and why does it do it? So how much can I remove mm. and how many things could be changed? Um, and what is the core that, that sits in here what's the core process that sits in here um and i've been reading recently uh, and i do not know how you pronounce his name because i've never heard it spoken but Rashea eliade eliade i don't know who wrote shamanism his his the big book on first big book on shamanism but he's got a book called the sacred and the profane mm. and the first chunk of that is about how uh ancient kind of mystical and religious societies viewed the structure of the universe and how they built temples and how they built houses to reflect that. Right. And it's the pentagram ritual in the, in the middle pillar, right? This is a reflection of this thing. Yeah. And I think that that's the part that's interesting 
versus the you know I'm gonna Godzilla and Ultraman are the guardians of the above and the, the yeah, below yeah. Yeah. is saying no this is like a kind of inher- pretty inherent structure for us mm-hmm. and so we can use that and we don't have to use the LBR we don't have to use it as a Kabbalistic exercise we don't have to do it we can see that this exists in um, all kinds of temple space whether that be sure. Vodun, whether that be uh, uh, you know kind of reconstruction witchcraft because it works on some level to us and there's an effect that happens once we begin to define our space that way mm-hmm. uh, if instead of that way is the Walmart and <laughs> that way is the freeway we begin to say no there's powers in these directions yeah and there is places I could go above and below to to communicate with things mm-hmm. um, if you do that type of work really consistently I think in any framework and are open um, the things that also agree with that model come come out and go oh okay hi you want to you want to do this well You're I interested think the, in this reality the value of the uh, Kabbalistic model or other systemic models is um, that sorry with the phone finish ring <laughs> ring 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 shop phone just doesn't have an off button so um <laughs> The, the the value is that uh, it also seems that spirit is, uh, or many spirits are uh, malleable in the language that they will speak to you, and so if mm-hmm. you preload with a whole lot of system, with a whole lot of stuff, then when it surfaces, it's going to be, and especially in dream work and, and visionary work, it's going to come through in that system and, and allow those correlations to further expand themselves, right. you know. So at least at least that's been my experience of it. So, yeah, and I could see that I'm super not able to do any of that stuff. Um, one of the things that I find odd, and I'm now meeting more people because this is part of one of the things I blog about a lot because I'm interested in people's experience of it. Yeah, is uh, I get shut down on all of those avenues. Like it is very clear if I start digging into any of the really systematized correspondence systems, kind of filing systems, uh, the people that I work with get pissed. They're like, yeah. don't don't do that. Mm-hmm. That's not for you. Um, and uh, the more I listen to them, the better things will work. Well, uh, says, uh, you know, to, to quote Crowley anyway, right? Success is your proof, you know? Exactly. If if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, great. If you're avoiding it because it's too hard or you're lazy, well, eh, That's a different thing. It's a whole different matter, right? That's a whole different thing. And I think that that was, I was lucky, I think, with the people that I, had kind of as as friends who who played in this stuff and worked in this stuff is uh though I did have people that were like if you are not doing a Nokian magic you are not a magician uh-huh. uh and I would just laugh you know um, sure uh cuz you just go that's whack that's uh we've been doing this for you know what 100,000 years or more at least yeah. uh and why do you think what happened there is any more important than anything else that's happened? Uh, it's a way, but it's not necessarily a better way. Well, in, in uh, my experience with the Enochian stuff was that um, in, the, in the way that uh, Orisha and uh, Loa and um, certain other kinds of spirits are imminent, they're just, they're just there on the, the other side of a very thin line. Uh, mm-hmm. My experience with the Enochian stuff is that it was that it is also that same way, 
It's yeah. very it's very much you can just be like you don't even need to open the door. You just need to pull aside the slightly gauzy veil and they'll come through if you're asking for it, you know? Yeah. So I don't totally. think that's the that's what's interesting about it. But like yeah. yeah, it's it can be one of those things people get very cult like about it, right? Well, and I think there's a tendency to that it's one of the things that I find it's probably the only thing that I find really annoying about the magical world is that kind of desire to mm. uh, kind of cultify and be and, and upraise something, some approach or some belief system. Yeah. Uh, and I know that that's just a human thing. It's just what, what people do, but uh, it's always been really annoying to me. It's like, why do you care yeah. what me and my things are doing? Uh, and why would I proselytize to someone about what me and my things are doing? Uh, it's like, uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, there's other things to do that are yeah. far more interesting than that. And, and what's more, I'm, I'm actually often like, I don't even really recommend what I did or do. Like people, <laughs> yeah, people totally. are like, should I do psychedelics? I'm like, I don't know, man. Like I did a lot of psychedelics. I had a few very very profound transformative experiences it culminated in i had a I had what i understood to be a vision of god face to face and then the next day i was like i'm done i never need to do that again and that was it i just stopped and yeah. you know i think that that was super helpful and super profound but i saw so many other people who got so damaged or were so damaged going into it and had that exacerbated by things that I'm like, I don't know. It's a risky road. You never know what you're going to come out of that with. And it's as much luck as anything else. So I can't really advocate it, you know? Yeah. It, it's like we did, uh, we, we, we did, we got very into being experimental with stuff uh, at a certain point and we were doing, um, Thelemic Enochian sweat lodge rituals. Mm -hmm. And we, we did these things that we did them. We did like 20 of them over two years, you know, like we did a lot of these things. We had this space we would go and, and we would, you know, do these full openings of the watchtowers and consecrating of stuff and bringing it in. And, you know, tremendous and wonderful things came out of that. And a lot of healing came out of it. Um, but again, I'm like, I don't know. Is that a good idea? Like it beats me. It was a thing that I did, but I'm like, I don't know. You know? Yeah. Totally. And I have that experience too. You know, it's like, uh, I did a huge amount of psychedelics and it yeah. worked for me, uh, with the caveats that, uh, you know, there were a couple of occasions where I couldn't talk for a week. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had to really piece together my language skills again, cause I did some harm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I nearly bit off one friend of mine's finger and ended up getting hauled off to the loony bin in five point restraints. Uh, -huh. uh not fun. Yeah. Uh, uh, retrospectively, I think that those were valuable experiences to me, but that can also just be, you know, we're the rationalizing species, right? Exactly. <laughs> it exactly. happened. It was gnarly. So yeah. it must have had some it was, value. It was hardcore, <laughs> man. We were hardcore. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go stack my skulls and think about how hardcore <laughs> I am. <laughs> uh, exactly. And, and for people... Who, who, who are listening who maybe don't understand the stacking of the skulls reference. <laughs> uh, last episode, I had uh, Jonathan Emmett on, and we were talking about uh, skulls and the emergence of witchcraft and the, uh, the, the power of Instagram and how 
there was a piece going around saying that you know if you wanted to be more witchy, you needed more skulls, and everything needed an extra skull. And anyway, it's become a become a, a running joke between a, a small group of us. Uh, yeah, so exactly. So let me let me ask you one thing that that I see you talk about, but we haven't talked about yet. Uh-huh. Um, dirt. What's what's with you and dirt? I have this dirt thing, and and. At the point that I was doing the chaos magic thing, I was uh, I, I did a few a few initiations in the, in the OTO, mm-hmm. and at the point, I had gotten really unruly in my behavior around, uh, and there was kind of a point where the OTO began to try and, I think, tighten its grip on Thalamolodge in Berkeley because it was a little sketchy, and I think they were getting complaints from the people that were not I've as interested. Some, in. As someone who spent a long time in the OTO, I, uh, I I've heard some stories. So, and so. Um, those that were not as as much into the crazy play that was going on and experimentation, I think, got the the powers that be to shut down. And uh, the same week that the OTO offered me the fourth degree, mm-hmm. uh, I was offered the fourth degree in the IOT, and I joined the IOT. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a really fun experimental madness uh i uh in any way in an effort to explain how i worked because this was such a hugely wide-ranging group of people mm-hmm. uh this was in the early 90s um people would go off about Anakian magic or about ceremonial magic and i came up with the the standard response is i would go oh yeah that's great but you know i'm really more of a rocks and string kind of guy uh-huh uh, that that was kind of my approach is, you know, you yeah. carve something out of a stick that you find and and turn that into your little fetish thing. And and this eventually turned into the concept of just dirt sorcery mm-hmm. of like, no, I'm not doing anything fancy here. There is no fancy here. Uh, and there is no uh, particularly elevated uh, mystical path here. Mm. Uh, this is all about right here in the dirt. Mm. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, so rocks and string. Uh, nice. <laughs> the dirt sorcery is the short form of the rocks. I'm a rocks, rocks and string guy. Nice. Uh, I'm yeah. much more interested in uh, what happens in this lifetime mm-hmm. uh, than anything that happens after. Um, and I see that, to me, most of the damage that it, we're kind of carrying in the West uh I think has its root in those kind of concepts of, of being dirty in mm. uh, the original sin kind of doctrine that has come down and that if we could shed some of that and be more comfortable mm. uh, with the way that we are and realize that that's not a debased state, yeah. uh, uh, we're better off. Yeah, totally. And I think too, it's uh well, let, let me backtrack. Absolutely. <laughs> it's so funny to me, you know, I, I, um, I wasn't raised anything mm-hmm. and I started reading Crowley at like 13 and I'd already, or 12, you know, like, and I'd already been like into that, into like a lot of these things and anything that I could kind of figure out about that at that point. So I kind of bypassed this whole, other than sort of the, the, the loose, stuff that was going on like i just bypassed all of that stuff and then you know spent years studying everything that i could get my hands on 
Mm-hmm. And so I come back around and I run into these things every so often. And I'm like, what? what? I don't even understand. Like, what is this <laughs> thing? It's not even, it's not even really like, I mean, I, I'm not stupid. So I get that it's a thing, but it's, it doesn't even exist in my universe. And yeah. because my kids are in scouting and the, the scout group, um, uh, is is held at a local church every so often they they have a service where they ask some of the scouts to come and represent and mm-hmm. stuff like that because they give us a space and that it's very it's very nice of them they're really supportive and I, I went to a service a little while ago for the first time in maybe 10 years I'd been to like a sort of formal church anything and I was just like Whoa, 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 easy on the sin business here. What are we talking about? You, you don't look like a room full of killers. Like, what's going on here, you know? And, <laughs> yeah, it's just this very strange thing. You we know? Had a, I had a funny thing. Um, uh, my dad's family were Protestants. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom's family was Catholic. Yeah. Uh, I definitely have the, I have kind of this amorphous guilt-shame thing that can come up that comes from that side. I yeah. Know. Um, but it's not really linked to any doctrine. I I was not raised around the church much. Um, I don't think we ever went except occasionally on a a holiday, maybe two or three times after I was five. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I also don't have that, but, uh, I've been exposed to so much of it that it was, there was a time where I was really irritated by it. And now I'm like, okay, I just don't understand it. It's a different wavelength, but I don't think it's particularly healthy, but People are doing it, and that's okay. Yeah. And I had a great time uh, with with Blue because she grew up in a very positive uh, Christian exposures mm. in her life, and uh, she she found a pamphlet at, at someone that we knew's house and was looking at it. When we got in the car afterwards, she's like, "What was this thing that I read?" And I'm like, "Couldn't understand what she was asking." And then I kind of remembered her talking about her experiences uh around you know church things mm-hmm. and it's like oh don't you know that you're supposed to suffer and she was like what yeah <laughs> like, no 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 you, that's an important part for some people yeah. uh it's really important that, it, that this be horrible uh and uh yeah it makes no sense to me whatsoever and it never has because mm-hmm. uh, it's uh The Sisters of Mercy line, uh, the things I see, they don't make sense. I don't see no evidence. Yeah, <laughs> you know? sure. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, it's it's funny for me because I, when I when I started reading cards for people, I started reading for predominantly uh, Caribbean and African people, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Oh, you understand us," and I was like, "Oh." And, and, and at first I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know, whatever. I'm just reading the cards. But in time I was like, oh, no, no, I see what's going on here. I'm just actually like non-Western at all. Like I just don't have a lot of that sort of Western structure and hierarchy of things. And even the stuff yeah. that I accumulated in my ceremonial journey, I kind of purged. You know I mean? My my chaos magic was purging what I perceived to be the the BS of Western ceremonial stuff that I didn't want to have. You know, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm on do this stuff in my belief system as well. And just get, yeah. you know, just get down to it. Right. So, yeah. yeah, it's very interesting. Well, and I think there's that, that idea 
in Chaos Magic, as I, which is saying that, like, and this is true with the Temple of Psychic Youth, which I was a part of for a long time, or a big influence on me, mm. um, though I had base differences uh, uh, in that, obviously, I'm rec- with no recourse to gods and demons. What fun is that? Right. Um, you know, uh, so that part never stuck. But was this idea that, yeah, that there there's programming stuff that goes on. Yeah. Uh, societally and culturally that it's wise to get a handle on mm-hmm. and choose which ones are which parts of that are useful to you and serve you and which part is really hurting you or in the way um, and so that's that was a big part for me too is like yeah. well, what am I carrying around that's weird here what, what what am I carrying around that doesn't make any sense um, what reactions uh, am I having because of uh, kind of cultural indoctrination um, yeah. And am I interested in that? Yeah. And for yeah. me, that, that work never ends. You know, mm-hmm. I still get together with a friend of mine uh, every month. And, um, you know, I learned peer counseling from them. And now they're a, now they're a psychologist as well. And uh, as we put it, we just get together and take the two by fours out and crack each other in the consciousness and call bullshit on stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's pure chaos magic, even though it's completely not in a chaos magic or any spiritual construct yeah. at all. It's more like, well, dude, this seems like an inherent contradiction here. Or like, hey, wait, wait, wait. Isn't that exactly what your dad was like? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Fuck. Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, totally. Uh, and this is something that, you know, I am uh, eternally grateful for uh, my wife because she's very good at doing this to me, probably much better than I am for her. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I've spent so much of my time alone uh, and being kind of like hyper Aquarian in my head that there's questions I just don't ask people ever. I just go, well, they must have <laughs> Something's going some on. reason mm, that whatever. works for them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so let me ask you when you're doing your sigils and talismans and stuff that you're making for people, mm-hmm. um, are those coming from these spirits that you work with? Yeah, kind of, sort of, sometimes maybe, uh-huh. uh, This is why I refer to the shop fairies or the shop spirits a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I so I did the chaos magic thing. I taught. I was in. I I, I, we, I helped. I co-founded a group called the Z Cluster with my friend Mark Defrates, who's passed now. Mm-hmm. He died this year. Um, as a counter to kind of the snootiness that the IoT was taking on, as I saw it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I had some contact with, uh, Andrew Chumbly, mm-hmm. uh, and began playing with some of his stuff. Um, and, uh, Robert Fitzgerald, uh, from three hands press, three hands press author. Uh, he went to England at one point and I, and asked if I wanted anything. And I gave him this list of Chumbly books that were theoretically unavailable. He actually brought them back, and that was the coolest thing ever. Nice. It's like oh, I have one of the, I have the ultra rare craziness. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, Chumbly had said in a letter that that Azoesha was the book that he'd wanted to read when he was mm-hmm. younger. That it was the book he would have liked to have found, yeah. uh, right? Uh, and that really kind of opened an initial idea to me that like, Oh, okay. I do all this dream work and maybe this really is something that I should work with. Um, 
and I met when I met Mark, uh, not the, the time that I, uh, first lived in new Orleans with him, but later on, and he's where I learned to make jewelry. Mm. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. And all of this kind of working with the Azoesha, doing the jewelry work is after I'd moved back to San Francisco and the spirit that had showed up to me when I was 11 and kind of given me my first initiation showed up then. And this was in 99 and told me to stop. Um, and so this is a big gap. This mm. was, this was a long time. Um, and for whatever reason, I don't really know why there was enough weight to that experience um, that I did it. I quit. Uh, I still did a little bit of sigil magic. Um, and I walked away and dropped all kind of outer contacts with magic. Uh, I didn't really read on it. I didn't really do any of that. I was just working, doing other stuff, playing music. And then, um, a few years ago when I was living in Tennessee, I decided, uh, to make jewelry and it had been kind of the magical stuff had been creeping back in, but in a different fashion. Um, and when I started making jewelry, it kind of opened this communication to what I call the shop fairies. Um, and, uh, I just began getting a lot of guidance in the actual shop, mm -hmm. uh, sitting at the bench doing the work, uh, I was very aware that there was a lot of activity going on. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, it really is to me, that is my, my primary practice now is my primary practice is in making these things. Mm -hmm. Um, and trying to be the best kind of conduit that I can to those, energies that I work with and the story that they tell <laughs> is that these things are uh, tools for the person who buys them and that they attempt to connect to that person's kind of what I would say is just weird right mm -hmm. uh, uh, and if I'm good and I can get out of the way for a little bit during the process, which I'm pretty good at, uh, that connection is forged. Mm. And so it's not a super conscious thing most of the time. Mm. Um, but I can feel it happening. And it's like, yeah, I totally get that. So it's like, and I, I wrote about this in the blog post I put up yesterday um, a bit that a lot of it is about how well can I get out of the way? Mm -hmm. Um, and from the reports that I get, this works very well. Uh, yeah, I do these uh, impossible readings, which, mm -hmm. um, you know, basically people ask a question. And, and the more, like, impossible the question, the better it is. Like, yeah. like somebody asked me, uh, I feel like I've forgotten something at a soul level. What is it? Right? And mm -hmm. I'm like, awesome. I, don't, I have no idea. Like, mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, so I, I sit and I make art um, on my iPad in software that allows me to generate a video of that process. And mm -hmm. then I make music for it. And then mm -hmm. I send it to this person and it basically pulls them into this dream state or whatever. And I, I have no idea, right. At all what's mm -hmm. going on. And, um, and, and then I get these email back. They're like, Oh my God, that symbol is this and this. And I'm like, great. You know, because it's that, yeah. I just step back and allow it to flow and that flow allows the magic to happen. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really interesting because sometimes it's really straightforward. Sometimes people say, I want this like this and I want it to be runic and it's just, boom, I got it. Right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, I make a lot of pieces for people that are not particularly, I would say, they're not trained magicians, right? Um, and they often come in with, I know I need something, but I don't know what it is really. Yeah. And I generally just try and get them to write as much as they can. Mm -hmm. Like, give me the stream of consciousness. Give me, I don't care if this makes, if what you send me makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah. And I often end up with pages and pages of this stuff. And I'll just read it, see if something comes. And if it doesn't, I put it aside and come back to it later. And uh, pretty universally what happens is sometime in the next few months, I wake up one morning with some idea Mm -hmm. and sit down to design it, come up with this thing, shoot them an image of it and go, how is this? Yeah. And in almost every case, people are like, I have no idea what that is, but it's like kind of like crushing. Yeah. It's like, this That's is awesome. so yes that I don't, but I have no idea why. And it's like, well, good. Cause I don't know either, yeah. but that's the thing. Why, why is overrated? You could feel, you feel the, the life in it or not. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so it's always, that's, those are always really funny things to send it to people because you really have no idea. You know, you don't know this person. You often don't know what their aesthetic is. Yeah. And uh, it's like, okay, I'm sending you this thing and here's what I see in it. Maybe if I know, mm -hmm. uh, but this seems like the thing. And usually it's, usually it's a go. That's awesome. Fantastic. Well, yeah. I could sit and chat with you all day. But I gotta go open the store here, so um, let's leave it at there. Maybe we'll maybe we'll do round two at some point. That would be lovely. Yeah. Um, thanks for being on the show, Aiden. And Absolutely. Where where people find you? Um, I'm pretty easy um, now. I didn't used to be, but I got smarter. Uh -huh. uh, I'm AidenWachter.com. Uh, I'm AidenWachter on Instagram and. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. I have a page you can find by Aiden Walker, Talismanic Jeweler. And uh, then my personal page as well under Aiden Walker. <laughs> nice. Well, I will, I will put some of those links in to the show notes as well so people can, uh, can find their way. But uh, yeah, Excellent. thank you. Thank you so much for making time today. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, I greatly appreciate it. And if you can do me a favor by giving us a review in iTunes, by hitting one of the share buttons in whatever way you're getting hold of this, by letting people you know who would be excited to hear these kinds of conversations know that the podcast exists, that would be fantastic and much appreciated. And either way, let me know. What